by the way, did I tell you, um, I'm going to shorten the sermon a little bit because towards the end, I have a person that I'm going to interview and share. Um, they're going to share a little bit about their journey in life about praying this prayer. So, but here is what we talked about uh, last week, sort of pick it up. Uh, there is an order here, and you follow the order in the Lord's Prayer, or you rip up the fabric of prayer. What's the order? Here it is. You center your heart, if you're taking notes, and mind through praise and adoration. And then you submit completely to his royal lordship. And third, ask away. First, center your heart and mind through praise and adoration. Then submit completely to his royal lordship. And third, ask right away. Just real quick on a side note. This is why it is so important that you show up on Sunday mornings early. Gather your heart and mind and worship God. It will set the tone for the rest of your morning in terms of how you hear the word, how you pray. It is important that we gather our hearts and center our heart and mind in adoration and praise. I was here when Carlton led, holy, 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 and saying those words, I sensed my heart and my soul centering, being anchored. And I also looked around and saw two-thirds of the church starting to walk in. And I just, he didn't know I was going to say this. Nobody asked me to know worship team. I'm just, can I just say, does it make a difference when your heart is centered? <laughs> of course, the worship guy goes, yes! Just an encouragement to you. Try to be here a little earlier so that you can center your heart and your mind. So, first, center your heart and mind through praise and adoration. Where do we see that? Verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And when we said that Jesus is talking about heaven, location, but his authority, not where he lives, but who he is. One thing you know about our church is we never just tell you to do something. We always tell you why and how. Maybe you grew up in church that said, begin with adoration, then do thanksgiving, then do confession, and then you ask God. Like, okay, why though? Why? The reason why you need to center your heart and begin with adoration and praise is this. The vast majority of our problems are a matter of our perspective and not our circumstances. We all say this with me. Our real problems, not like you mean it, ready? Our real problems are a matter of perspective, not circumstance. How many of you guys would agree with that? Okay, so vast majority of us. See, we just need to leave our tiny bubble called Chicago and even our immediate friends and just travel a little bit outside to know that much of what ails us is our perspective. How many of us would agree that a lot of our problems are first world problems? Can I get an amen? Uh, there's a, a form of therapy called cognitive therapy, cognitive therapy counseling. And cognitive therapy essentially says this, that the essence of what ails us is not the external circumstances, but our internal responses to those problems. So I'll give you an example. A cognitive therapist will sit in his office, and somebody will walk in and go, I've got an ulcer. Why do you have an ulcer? Because of my wife. My wife? Because of my wife. We fight constantly, and I'm getting sick. A good cognitive therapist will say, that's very interesting, Mr. Jones. So you think you have an ulcer because of your wife. 
So I see, and you're just frustrated and you're stressed out because you can't change her, and so you have an ulcer. And then he says this, he goes, but Mr. Jones, I beg to differ because I have another patient called Mr. Smith. And Mr. Smith, his wife, just like your wife, and his temperament is just like your temperament. You kind of rub each other the wrong way, just like that couple. But Mr. Smith, when they argue, forgives his wife. He forgives her. And he doesn't have an ulcer. And a good cognitive therapist will say, so Mr. Smith, you see, the real issue is not your wife, but it's your internal responses to your wife and your marriage. Now, you sit there and go, well, that's a little bit of mental gymnastics and whatever. That's counseling therapy. There's a spiritual application to that. You know what the spiritual application is? What really ails us is our distorted perspectives about what? Two things. Distorted perspectives about our true condition and distorted perspectives about who we're praying to. Distorted perspectives about true condition and distorted perspectives of who we're praying to. If you want to learn how to pray, go to the prayers in the Bible. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? When you go to the prayers in the Bible, especially Paul's prayers, it's amazing. Because Paul's writing to people that are going through some amazing things. But you never, ever, ever, ever see Paul praying, and I just pray that you'd be happy. And I just pray that your problems will be solved. And I just pray that your difficulties would diminish. And Paul doesn't even pray for people's healings in his prayer. Do you know what he prays for? Things like this. I pray that you would grasp what? How high, how wide, how deep is the love of God in Christ. I pray that you would have a vivid faith, a vivid faith that understands who God is. I pray that you come to see the glory of God in a much more clearer way. I pray that you would understand the intensity to which the affection of God is for you. That's how he prays. Why? He knows something about us. And what is that? What really ails us is not what's outside of us. What really ails us is what's inside of us. Many of us are completely obsessed with thinking that what problems we have is because of circumstances. It's because of outside. So we become obsessed with it. If I can just change those circumstances, I will be okay. And what Paul's getting at is it's not an external circumstantial thing that ails you. It's internal. It's your perspective. It's your perspective that causes anxiety. It's your perspective that causes fear. It's your perspective that causes worry and doubt. Hey, if, you don't, if you don't believe this, let me just bring this down to earth. Just, by the way, there's lots of illustrations about children and mom and dad, father, because Jesus intended the Lord's Prayer to be that way. So my daughter, last Christmas, got a Barbie dollhouse. It's humongous. It's like taller than her. Not only does Sophie like the dollhouse, Noah really likes the dollhouse, but for different reasons. <laughs> Sophie likes to play with it. Noah likes to destroy it. This hasn't happened yet. But imagine this scenario. Imagine Sophie one day just crying and weeping, coming to us and saying, Mom, Dad, Noah destroyed my dollhouse. It's gone. And I hope Sophie and go, Sophie. I know the dollhouse is broken, but I have some amazing news. You have this uncle in Korea that you didn't know about. And he left you an inheritance of $20 million. $20 million. And you believe it? Who cares about the dollhouse? You're $20 million, Sophie. Now, what does a six-year-old do? Does a six-year-old go, $20 million? <laughs> Who cares about the dollhouse? Is that what a six-year-old does? What does a six-year-old do? $20 million? Who cares about the 
the $20 million? What about my dollhouse? That's what a six-year-old does. Now, if you're sitting there going, that's just a stupid example. Let me press you. Is her issue her perspective? Or is her issue her circumstances? Because if Sophie had the cognitive ability, if Sophie had the mental apparatus, if Sophie had the logical, formal, whatever you call it, to understand what $20 million means, she wouldn't sit there and go, if I only had my dollhouse. Let me pray you a little bit more. How many of you sitting here have been saved and redeemed by Jesus? How many of you here know that you are adopted son or daughter of the creator on high? Are you, are you feeling me? How many of us here know that we will rule and reign with Christ for all of eternity? How many of us here know that God calls a son and daughter and we have the privilege of calling him father? How many of us know the spirit that we can partake of the divine nature? Those are ours in Christ. And yet, this morning, we are distraught because of a financial problem or a relational problem. Are we not just like a six-year-old? Are we not just like that baby girl who doesn't understand that the real issue is not the circumstances, but the perspective to which we're looking at the circumstances around us? We don't realize our true condition. We don't realize our adoption. We don't realize our privilege. We don't realize our status. We don't realize who we are and what we have in him. We don't know enough about the glory of God, the privileges of the earth that is in Christ. We don't know enough about the goodness of God, the love of God, the power of God. And if you're sitting there going, yes, I do, you don't. Because if it did, it would thrill you. If it did, it will change you. If it did, it will melt your heart. Don't tell me you know it intellectually. Do you know it in your heart? Do I know it? Is it impacting me? Is it changing me? This is the reason why Paul's prayers over and over again is for our inside to be strengthened, to grasp how high, how wide and deep and, and amazing is the love of God and that we will be filled with the fullness of God. Self-pity comes from forgetting his grace. Yeah, we're a recipient of amazing grace. Worry, anxiety comes from forgetting his goodness. Can I just ask, how many of us can look back this year and go, God, you've been good to me? Clap if that's true. Just, I mean, just, God, you, you have been, you have been good to me. Then why do we worry? Why are we anxious? Resentment comes from forgetting his mercy towards us. The only thing that could heal the tumor, the cancerous tumor of anxiety, fear, and resentment is praise, adoration, thanksgiving. If you're blinded this morning, by the tumor of self-pity, by the tumor of anxiety, by the tumor
tumor of resentment. You don't need, here's five steps on how to get rid of it. The only thing that could heal you is praise, adoration, thanksgiving. Try it if you've never done it. It's like a big sore in our back that just gets... The, the, the pus of anxiety just oozing out of you as you say, God, forgive me for forgetting your grace. Father, forgive me for worrying and forgetting about your goodness. The reason why you and I and our prayer lives are so drab is not only because we don't know our true condition, but we also, here's a second thing where our perspectives are distorted. We don't know who we're praying to. You have to know who you're coming to. There's confidence when you know who you're coming to. And, and, and who are we coming to, church? Our what? Say it with me. Our what? Our Father. It's interesting. Jesus didn't say, pray, dear God. Dear God is a perfectly way to address him. Or dear Lord. But Jesus intentionally says, no, here's how. Our Father. Why? Because prayer identifies us as his. You are my Father, I am your son. You are my father. I am your daughter. And when that clicks, prayer becomes revolutionized. If I look up here for a second, you are not a mistake. You are not some total of your past. You are not someone who got passed over. You are not someone who that he or she didn't want. You are not. God says, you are what? Oh, Maybe this word was for you. Because as I was preparing this, I just sensed the Holy Spirit going, Peter, remind them. Again, this is so familiar. It's a train. Bah, train. So familiar. Our Father, our Father, our Father. And God's going, no, no, no. You're my child. You're not what that guy did to or his girl said. You're not what your boss did. You're my child. If that we could just stop right there. Because if that became real to you, <laughs> amen? If that, if that became real to you, <laughs> man. Can I give you another illustration? Again, lots of that. So imagine me taking Parker to Toys R Us. Parker, you could have anything in the store. Anything? Anything in the store. Walks around, shopping cart. Things are filled it's like, Daddy, can we go? And I go, you know what, Parker? I was just kidding. <laughs> you, you could have none of it. Eat your heart out. Now let's go. That's what you and I think of God. You want me to go there, Michael? Don't resist this. Don't sit there and go, what are you talking about? When serpent came to Adam and Eve and said to them, did God really say you couldn't eat from any tree? Did God say that? No, that's a lie. What God said was, you could eat from any tree in the garden, but don't eat of that one tree. 
And God says, I don't want you to do that one tree. Listen very carefully. And I'm not going to tell you why. Because if I tell you why, and you obey because you know why, you're relying on your wisdom, your understanding, your knowledge, which means you still remain in control. So I'm not going to tell you why. I need you to trust me and to know that I love you. Satan comes and goes, he just wants you miserable. He doesn't want good for you. And that lie sank into the base of our heart and soul. That's why when we ask God for things, we go through things, and God doesn't answer, even though you don't know why, you are convinced that God wants you miserable. You are convinced that God doesn't love you. You are convinced that God doesn't want the best for you. Where does that come from? You don't even know why, and yet we're convinced. Please don't go, that, I don't believe that. Really? Is that why you respond and I respond the way we do with unanswered prayer? Is that the reason why we respond when trials and difficulties come into our lives? Is that the way we respond? How do we respond? You don't love me. You don't want good for me. You don't know what's good for me in my life. We respond not with, Father, I trust you. But we respond with, why do you want my life miserable? What can heal that? Jesus says, is knowing that he is your, what? Heavenly Father. Every other parent in this room, except maybe Pastor Michael could relate to this, because last week when I said, our parents, our joy is wrapped up and bound up in the joy of our children, Michael's like, no, 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 that's not me. (laughs) And if you know him, you know how much he loves and adores his son, but he likes to be the tough guy, the tough dad, right? But you know, you know, you know. Even our, our hearts are bound up with the joy of our children. When they're happy, we're happy. When they're sad, we're sad. We're like, where the heck does that come from? And the Bible says we're made in the image of our Heavenly Father. And that means that if Jesus said this, if you, 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 Peter, sinful, evil, flawed human being, if you and your joy and passion is bound up in the joy and passion of your children. Three words that revolutionize prayer. Jesus says, if you, then what? How much more is your Father in heaven wanting good things for his children? If you are for the affection and joy of your child, your daughter, your son, God says there has never been a parent on earth and there will be ever another parent on earth whose affection and joy for the fulfillment and joy of their child surpasses his joy for you and for me. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? That he is your heavenly father, that he is my heavenly father. If your prayer life is boring, If your prayer life lacks intimacy, if your prayer life lacks power, we don't get this. If our prayer lives are small, we don't get this. That's the thing that I've been convicted by. The Bible has astonishing promises about prayer. Jesus says, ask anything in my name, I'll give it to you. James, you have not because you ask not. There's another verse in James where God, it says, God gives generously and begrudges us no good things. That means that there's not a single thing There's not a single thing that's good for you that you've ever asked for that God didn't give you. Ever. Is that good news? There's not one single thing, God says, that's good for you. 
that you've ever asked for that God has never answered, never happened. Isaiah 65, before they call, I will answer. All through the Bible, God promises to bring astonishing, mind-numbing blessings through prayer. But our prayer is so small. Why? Because he is not our, what? Heavenly Father. One real quick thing. You notice nowhere in this prayer, Jesus says, pray in my name. In other words, how many grew up going, after you pray, make sure you insert what? In. (laughs) Jesus said, Confession time. So for me, I thought there was like this magic thing you needed to do, like kick at the end, you know, to make sure the prayer was heard. Anybody? You know? And the more desperate you wanted the prayer to be, like you accentuate, like in Jesus' name, if you wanted it to be like, God, are you hearing it? In Jesus. Like, you know what in Jesus' name is in here? It's our Father. Our Father. In Jesus' name reminds us that we come to him as our Father because of Jesus' work on the cross. So when we say, our Father, we're saying, because of him, I'm your son. I'm your daughter. So at the end, you know, you don't have to go, in Jesus' name, are you hearing it? Our Father, God says, will suffice. Because you're related to me. I just wanted to read you guys an email real quick. Some water, please. Thank you. Um, thank you, sir. Uh, hi, Peter. Uh, I, I usually don't do this, but I felt compelled to send you thoughts and encouragement about your words this past Sunday. I was especially struck by you speaking about how your own children have pushed you to a new level of understanding about who God is. To give some context, I've really struggled to take joy in my children. And when I take time to really think about this, I believe it's a direct result of how I view God. See, I often view him as someone obsessed with keeping order by keeping tabs on who is following the right rules and being good. Anybody? Also, I find myself doing the same thing with my children, worrying obsessively that they're being good and following the rules. In addition, I constantly worry about how others see me as a parent. Now, having a spirited two-year-old has completely destroyed any idea or feeling I had about being a good parent. So here I am, trying on my own to try to be a good parent. He says, I don't pray about this. Why? Because I hear past voices of pastors and church leaders in my head saying, well, there's your problem. Just need to pray more. Although well-intentioned, this just becomes another thing for me to do. It just becomes another item on God's long checklist of good Christian, uh, things that good Christians do. So even prayer has become something I try to do on my own, and I wonder why I don't feel God's presence. It's because he is not even a part of my prayer. It's all me, 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 me. Help, 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 help. And then he said this. Even before your message on Sunday, I knew I should pray, but how? And I felt God saying, just come and see. So I began praying by writing without much expectation. God simply reminded me of who he was. So I started writing. He is gracious and loving. He gives rest to the weary. He lifts the head and wipes the tears of the forgotten and lonely. He is slow to anger and full of compassion. If I run, he will chase me. He left the 99 to search for me. He stays up day and night waiting for me to return. 
When he sees me on the horizon, broke, smiling, uh, smelling of alcohol, blurry-eyed and covered in ish, he runs to me. Before I can say I'm sorry, he hugs me and puts a ring on my finger. He calls his servants to provide a feast, a celebration. He is teaching me to celebrate his goodness. This is my father, not some distant deity obsessed with rules. Our father. Is that real to you? Is it real to me? Stay there as long as it takes. Don't even, don't, don't even go past it. Our Father. My Abba. My Dad. Our Father. If this is true, um, and your prayer life is uh, really your litmus test for your relationship with God. Your prayer life is the litmus test of where you are with God, church. Because as we saw earlier, prayer is the one thing, Jesus says in Matthew 6 earlier, that you do that no one else sees. He says all these other things, generosity to the poor, great thing to do. Sharing your faith, great thing to do. Bible study, all great thing to do. But he says there's one thing that you do that no one else sees. One thing that you do that you do just for me. And that is when you go to your room, go into your closet, close the door, and you pray. Let me just push you real quick and then we're moving on. Are you a user or a server? Are you using God or are you serving God? I'm serious. Are you using God or serving God? Do you know what the difference is? Because a user and a server sit, I, actually, you're sitting next to each other in pews. Every Sunday people come, a user and a server. But here's the difference between a user and a server. A user says, look, God, I have needs. I want to be happy. I want to be comfortable. I want to be successful. I have all these things. So what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? Come to church, do it. Read the Bible, I'll do it. Pray, I'll do it. But what do I need to do? I have my goals that I want to fulfill, and you tell me what I need to do to fulfill my goals. That's what a user does. A server, a Christian goes, God, you're my creator, you're my savior, you're my redeemer. I owe you my life. I owe you everything I have. I live my life as my own savior, my own Lord. I should have been cast off, but I wasn't because of your grace. I should have been cut off, but I wasn't because of your cross. I see that Jesus died for me to forgive me and restore that relationship. Lord, here's my life. I trust you. I serve you. You've given me far more than I could ever imagine. I'm yours. Another reason using a server is how you respond to unanswered prayer. A server, a Christian says, God, this is terribly frustrating. This is really hard. I don't know why you're not answering this prayer. I don't know why you haven't come through for me. But here's what I know. You're my father. You're my father. I'm not in this for you to serve me. I'm in this for me to serve you. A user, you only pray when you want something. You only pray when you're in trouble. And when God doesn't come through, well, what good is this? 
What's the point of being a Christian? Why? Because the whole point of being a Christian for a user is, what can you do for me? Are you a user? Are you a Christian? Then we come to the second part of prayer, which is submit completely to his royal lordship. Can we just all say this prayer together? Verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is. Um, how many of you struggle praying this prayer? Really? Like 10 of us? So don't need to preach this. We just, just move on. How many of us struggle praying this? Really? Yeah, genuinely. genuinely. How many of us realize that this prayer is getting harder and harder to pray as we get older? When I was a college student, this was easy to pray. Sorry, college students. I don't know if I got any. You know? God, I give you everything. And I feel like God sometimes going, you have a bunch of cassette tapes and bad clothes. Thank you very much. Everything. You know? By the way, if you don't know what a cassette tape is, ask your neighbor, okay? Because um, for some of us, remember eight tracks. Y'all remember eight tracks? Good Lord. Wow. That's a long time ago. It's easy to pray. God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. 19 years old. God's going, you have no other plans anyway. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, go. Like you're like going nowhere. Of course you're going <laughs> to. But as you get older, it gets harder to pray, doesn't it? Do you know why it gets harder to pray? Do you know why this prayer is so hard? By the way, if it scares you, if you struggle, then you understand the magnitude. If this prayer is like, nah, you don't understand the magnitude. Because this prayer comes direct confrontation. It hits us in the face with two things that we struggle with. You know what that is? We think, and this is a modern problem, by the way. Us modern people think that we are entitled to a good life. And number two, we live with the illusion that we're in control. So that's why going, let your will, whoa, I'm entitled to good life, I'm in control, let your king, no, and Jesus is saying, the purpose of prayer is not that you come and bend God's will to meet yours, but that you and I melt and soften our will. The purpose of prayer is not Jesus. I want my priority for when I get married. I want my agenda for my family. I want my agenda for my career. The purpose of prayer is Jesus that you bring all of that and you put that into the fiery furnace of God's truth and love and come to a point where our will melts and bends to God. Let your kingdom come. Let you will be done. We'll talk more about this next week because next week we're going to really look at this prayer and then give us our daily bread. So we'll finish next week, you guys. We're going to get together and see what, why, and how we pray. What, why, and how we pray thy will be done. 
But Thomas Watson, a 17th century writer, said this. He said, when you pray, thy will be done. Jesus is telling you that pray two things. He says, you're praying that first, that you might do diligently all that he commands. And secondly, that you might submit patiently to all he brings. Can I say that once more? Thy will be done is praying diligently that you might do all that he commands, but also that you might willingly submit to all that he brings. How long does it take to pray the prayer? Depends on where you are in your relationship with God. The thing I find fascinating is Jesus in John 11 prays to raise Lazarus from the dead. The prayer is like 10 seconds. Lazarus, come forth. On the night that he is to be crucified, he prays all night long. Blood coming out of his pores. This is Jesus. Why? He is staring at the will of God and he's struggling. He's staring at the will of God and he is struggling. And he prays all night to come to the place. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Here's a principle I want you to take. We're gonna, the length of your prayer isn't determined by the willingness of your God. The length of your prayer should be determined by the condition of our hearts. Some days you get up, it's an easy, let your will be done. Other days you get up, and it is, God, this is hard. And God the Father says, I know. It's okay. God, this is so hard. I know. It's okay. God, this is so hard. I know. It's okay. I'll come back tomorrow, and we'll try again. I'll come back the next day and try again. Every single one of us in this room has something that we're struggling with in saying, let your will be done. If you think that the reason why God hasn't addressed or taken that area of your life is because you are unwilling to let go, your God is this big. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you hear me? If you're sitting there going, well, you know, I just haven't made the decision to let this go, so God can't. Your God is this big. He's God. He could take it anytime. Do you know why he hasn't? It's not the thing that you're holding. It's what it represents. Do you know what it represents? Your heart. He could care less about that. Money. He's God for crying out loud. You know what I'm saying? But it's what it represents. And what it represents is your heart. He doesn't care about that, the relationship, him, her, the money. What he wants is your heart. Because if he has your heart, he has all of you. 
And when he died on the cross, he didn't die for some of you. He died for all of you. And he wants your heart, not what you're holding in your hand. It's what it represents. He said, they're going, okay, why, 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 why should I pray that prayer, Peter? It's the scariest. Most. I'll tell you why. It's the prayer of all prayers. And I'll tell you why. It's the prayer that I like to I'll tell you why. It is the prayer that you and I should want to pray every single day. It's the upside down nature of the kingdom. Do you remember? If you want to find your life, what? You must lose it. And Jesus comes in Matthew 6 and says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for he doesn't go, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for blessedness. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you hunger and thirst and seek after blessedness, you'll never find blessedness. But if you seek and find righteousness, Jesus says, you will find righteousness. Are you hearing me? If you want to find yourself in blessedness, Jesus says the best way to do that is don't go seeking for yourself in blessedness. He says go seek God and his righteousness. That's what it means, your will. I want you. Because if I have you, I have you and all these other things. But if I seek after all these things, I get neither you nor all these things. Your will. Byron, come on up for please. You'll be done. Your will be done. Cece, you can come on up too. Get a mic for Byron. Go ahead and have a seat right here, Byron. So Byron sent me this email. I was struck by your statement that the first and true purpose of prayer is to seek more of God rather than seek what I think I need from him to manage outcomes. Because of my own experience with this approach to prayer, it's the engine of my life. After leaving the church as a young man, I spent decades wandering in a spiritual wilderness of self-reliance that ultimately led me close to self-destruction spiritually and physically, broken by drugs and alcohol. But what I now know to be the grace of God, I entered a 12-step program where I was told that the only way I would recover was to seek God's will for my life and the power to carry it out, asking nothing more from him than that. As a result, I have not found it necessary to take a drink or drug since. And how many years has it been? Five. Five years. I have learned that my old way of living was governed by attempts to manage my reactions to life by managing outcomes. Brilliantly said, I don't claim to always know exactly what his will is for me, but I do know it's it, his will that I live free of the self-centered fear caused by attempts to control what only he can control. Shortly after I started seeking God's will in prayer, he sent me to a new community where I, where I have discovered that the gift of the gospel is a life guided by the Holy Spirit and that the kingdom of God is here on earth as a result. Seeking God's will is seeking the Holy Spirit 
allowing God to remove my fear, remove the noise that obscures that still voice of God that is always present inside me. Byron, why do you get up every morning and before you go to bed, pray this prayer? God, let your will be. I don't know. I wake up a lot of days filled with anxiety. Um, I have a lot of fear about life. Um, one, of the, one of the aspects of alcoholism is, is a uh, sort of an overblown reaction to life. I don't, I don't react in scale to whatever's going on. I have, I have reactions that are blown way out of proportion, basically emotional immaturity. Um, so I did it because I was told to do it. I had reached the, I'd really reached the end of the line with everything I could try. And I, I met these people, and they said we're able to live life sober and, you know, just do what we do. Yeah. Did you find it difficult to pray, God, let your will be done? Or was it easy for you? I found it difficult to pray at all. Why? Um, I don't know. They said get on your knees. They said the proper, the proper posture is on your knees. I didn't want to do that. Yeah. I, th I was embarrassed. There wasn't even anybody there to see me do it, and I was embarrassed. Yeah. Um, it took a while just to get used to that. Just, yeah. it, just, just the idea of, of submitting to an authority yeah. is not something I was interested in at all. Yeah. I mean, when I walked away from the church, I remember somebody saying to me, hey, you got to believe in something. And I said, I'm just going to believe in myself. Mm. You know? And I thought I was pretty clever. I had come up with that. I thought, you know, <laughs> you know that's, that's going to work for me. And, and taking that path for me reached kind of a logical conclusion, you yeah. know, of a lot of pain. Yeah. So I'm kind of lucky that way, you know, that I've got on, on, the, on this side kind of um, peril, and on the other side this life I live now. Yeah. So it's a choice every morning, you know, whether so I'm gonna, if I'm going to submit yeah. or not. You literally pray this every night before you go to bed and first thing you wake up in the morning? And during the day, if, yeah. I get, if I get agitated, if I get afraid, I stop and say a quick prayer. Just yeah. say, you know, thy will be done. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't claim to, I'm not, a, I'm not a poster child for somebody who lives according to God's will. I'm a, I'm a very flawed individual, yeah. but it, it has worked in terms of what they told me it would do. Yeah. And I've had some experiences, especially in my Christian life since I've come back to church, where I've had what I feel are, uh, I've been in the presence of God. Yeah. And he loves me. Yeah. You know, unconditionally. So I don't have to be afraid to ask for God's will. Yeah. Because he loves me. You know, and, and unconditional love is not something I think any of us are, um, ready to accept. It's not something that we readily accept because that's not, that's just not how things work in this world. Unconditional yeah. love, really. Yeah. yeah. But that's the love that God has for us. So, you know, I, I have not been dropped on my head so far. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's not, it's, it's, um, it's mainly a way for me to get out of my own way. Yeah. And if I am, then I'm, then I'm open to what's, what God's going to put in front of me that day. And usually that means an opportunity to be helpful to somebody. It's not some big, you know, he's not like going to say, I want you to go to China or something. It's more like there's somebody that's going to cross your path today that needs your help. Yeah. And if I'm wrapped up in my own stuff, I'm not available. For those of us that are fearful of praying, let your will be done because of what it might mean, 
What would you say? I understand. I understand. Um, I guess it comes down to the to right relation to God in, in one part, but also just kind of my my knowledge of God and, and, and God's regard for me. Yeah. And so I don't have to be afraid because the God that I'm worshiping loves me unconditionally. It's your conviction of his unconditional love for you That's it. that enables you to pray, let your will be done. Yeah, he told me. I mean, I didn't hear a voice in the room. But I had my, I've had experiences where I've felt the presence of God. So that when trials and hardships come? Well, I really think that the, that the gift of the gospel is awareness of the presence of God, to be with him. That's the, that's the only reward. <laughs> so if I can be aware of the presence of God in a difficult circumstance, that is really, that's the gift. That's the gift. That's it. You know, and I can't say that you're right. My life is pretty good. My, I've been really blessed. I'm not facing anything at the moment that's particularly challenging except me. Um, it, but, is he speaking so much truth? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you that, you, no, seriously, you are speaking, and you do it so just matter-of-factly, Byron, that frankly, some of us are like internally shocked, like, wow, you just, but you're right, though. It's our self-mastery. It's the belief that we are God, that we are in control we get in the way of the work that God wants us to do. That's where the fear comes from. Yes. But, you know, I'm fortunate that I had, I was presented with an, an extreme example of self-will in my life. Yes. Byron, you know, do you think people need to get to the end of themselves in one form or another to be able to... They, that's what they say. Spiritual growth is, is, um, involves pain. So, you know, you get in enough pain... And then you're willing to, to surrender whatever it is you're trying to be okay. You know, so yeah, I think it's helpful to have something that, that you're using to, to, to mitigate the fear of, the, of, of outcomes in your life. To have that collapse on you is very useful. Yeah. I think for me, anyway, that was the catalyst for me sort of getting to the other side of all that. Yes. Here's what I'd yeah. love for you to do. As we end this service... Will you just pray for us, particularly this prayer that we individually will come to embrace God's will for our lives and that we will come to an assurance of his unconditional love and live the life that Jesus calls us to live. We pray for our church family, Byron. Let's pray together, church. Father God, thank you so much for bringing me here to this place. I'm still amazed that I'm here. I know there are people in the church today that are, that are struggling with this idea of surrendering their wills to, to God. Mm -hmm. And I would pray that, that they would come to know you in, in the way that I've come to know you. Mm -hmm. and that, to know that you love us unconditionally. Yeah. And that the only thing that, as Peter said, that you want from me is my heart. That's it. That's the only thing that you want. And all this other... All these other things that I think about myself are just noise. Yeah. That's all it is. It's just distractions. Mm. And I pray that the folks in the church today that are going through something difficult, yes. that they would know your presence. And yes. That they would yes. understand that through knowledge of your presence, we yes. gain the strength we need yes. to make it through whatever 
trials and tribulations we're going through and that that becomes something that we're able to use to help the next person that goes through it and maybe that's the reason why that we go through these things I just pray that that folks in the church would be aware of your presence through all circumstance and understand that by seeking your will that is the, the gift that we get yeah Let's all stand together. Here's what we're going to do. Carlton's going to lead us in a final song of response, a hymn. But before he does, can we just pray the Lord's Prayer right up until where we covered today? And I'll kind of lead us so that we just kind of pause at certain moments. And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Church, let's pray this together. Ready? Our Father. Stop right there. The next part is, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then this next part, ready? Your